planted, not buried. That is the title of this series, but it is also an important foundation that we laid in the first installment of this series to help us go everywhere we about to go in this series, including where we'll hit on today in the second installment of this series. I would so encourage you to maybe bookmark that sermon, maybe to uh, keep it somewhere where you can go back and listen to, or maybe if you're joining us today for the first time and you missed part one, you're here at Church Online, welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here. But I would make it a priority to go get that foundation laid within you over and over and over again that will set the frame of reference that you need to recognize anywhere you are in your life that you are planted, not buried. But for those of us who maybe missed the first installment or for those of us who may have forgotten the first installment since now leaning into the second installment in this series, I do want to lift one primary idea that we will begin to build on on today in this second week, this second installment of this series, and it's this. It's something stated throughout that sermon. It's something that we will state throughout this series because it is so foundational to you living a life that is planted, not buried, to you understanding that whatever may be going on and however things may be going on, you are planted, not buried. And that is this, that planted isn't a place, it's a perspective. When I speak of being planted, I am not talking about some specific environment. I am not talking about getting in the right location. That is not what I speak of. I am speaking of a perspective that you choose to live your life with, a perspective that as people of faith, we can adopt, we can grow in, and I'm going to show you how to today. That no matter where you are in life, no matter what is going on in your life right now, whether you feel like things are good or things are difficult, whether you look out on the environments around you and believe that all things are well in your world, or you can't remember the last day that was called by you good, you can say with confidence that I am planted, not buried. If you'll begin to develop where it is we're going to go on today. Because being planted isn't a place, it's a perspective. It isn't about being in the right room. It isn't about being in the right position. It isn't about getting the right conditions to work out for you. No, 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 no. It's about how you see everything. And I have to restate this each week. I have to even repeat myself as I say it right now because it is so contrary. It is so the antithesis of how most people see the world, potentially even you, of how most of us do evaluation on our life or on our day or on the season that we find ourselves in. And the reason is because of what I would love for you to write down in your notes as we begin on today, is that people in general <laughs> are too worried about their conditions and not worried enough about their character. Oh, this is a planted, not buried uh, launch week, okay? This is a, I'm about to help you be planted no matter where you find yourself in life. 
But you have to become someone different than the norm. Because people are too worried about their conditions. Am I in the right situation? Is this the right place for me? Uh, is this the right job for me? Are these people supportive enough of me? People are far too worried about their conditions and not worry near enough about their character, about the internal makeup of themselves. And the truth is, it's the worst around church folk. Like, I think the people in society that often are the worst about needing the conditions to be right, needing all the things around them to be the way they prefer and the way they want, are people who call themselves people of faith. I mean, there are people who say they follow Jesus who won't associate with other people simply because of how that might make them look. It's like, we can't hang out with them. We can't eat with them. You shouldn't be friends with them because of how it makes us look. We don't want to look like we do what they do. We don't want to look like we struggle with what they struggle with. We don't want to be perceived in that way. People say this because they're not confident <laughs> on their character, they're concerned about their conditions. There are parents who are trying to do the good, holy, parental duty, and they're very worried about the environment they put their kids in. They won't send their kids to a certain school because of what they teach. It's because they're more concerned about the conditions that their children are in than they are the character they are developing within their children. I better, I better move on to the, just move on before I mess with people a little too much. We're too concerned about optics and appearances. We're too worried about how people would perceive this, that this is too rough and this is too dangerous and this is too messed up and I can't be around that because I have to be seen in a certain way. People are too worried about their conditions and not worried enough about their character. But I have hope for you today. I have promise for you today. For those of you who are choosing to live, choosing to be someone who is planted, not buried, hear this boy. If you get the right character, you can handle any conditions. If you will get on the inside of you the makeup of a man of God, the makeup of a woman of God who, who will not be swayed by the weather, who will not give and bend their back when conditions change, but they can stand firm. You can put me in any situation and I will thrive because I don't need the conditions to be right because I know what's going on on the inside of me. Now, before I get ahead of myself, and I may have already gotten ahead of myself, I would, as a way of taking a text on today, would like to take you on a journey. I want to, rather than simply lean into a verse or two or a passage in the scripture, I want to take you on a quick journey through the life of 
a significant figure in the Old Testament whose life embodies what I'm talking about. Who, as we tour their life for a few moments, I believe you will see evidence of everything I'm trying to tell you. That this is someone who lived planted, not buried. And the reason they were planted, not buried, was not because the conditions they found themselves in were always good, were always holy, were always noble, were always what everybody else would want, but because there was something on the inside of them that enabled them to thrive wherever they were. I want to take you on a tour of the life of a man found in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, by the name of Joseph. Joseph was a son of a man named Jacob, who Jacob more commonly is known as Israel. Israel was the namesake for the people of Israel, later on the nation of Israel. Israel's grandfather was Abraham, who God made a promise to and said, you will be my people, I will be your God, and the whole world will be blessed through you. Joseph was the 11th son of his father, Jacob. He was, though, the first son of the wife that Jacob loved most. I understand that even me saying that statement is a little complicated, and you got 17 questions. Well, this ain't that setting. In fact, some of you heard during the news today, and if you didn't, uh, check this out. We are in February hosting a class uh, that is a New Testament survey. And in that New Testament survey class, I will handle lots of little details and lots of little fun historical facts and explain to you why with different things like that. Now, granted, I'm talking about the Old Testament now. But in our classes, that's an environment for me to explain these types of things. Just please understand this is the reality, and that's an important reality as we move along. He was the 11th son of his father, Jacob, but the first son to the wife that Jacob had that he loved the most. It was that birthright that caused Jacob to love his son Joseph more than his other sons. He showed favoritism to Joseph, and Joseph's other brothers knew it. They, uh, they didn't like this. In fact, they were jealous, the scriptures tell us, of Joseph and the relationship that he had with his father, the influence that he gained from his father. Joseph one day had a dream, and this dream was um, a bit off-putting, uh, to say it at least, particularly to those characters who weren't Joseph. He had a dream that one day his brothers and sisters, his father and mother would all bow down to him. And he starts telling it to his brothers and telling it to his father. And they're like, ah, what is this? And this only angered his brothers more. So much so that one day his brothers took an opportunity while they were all far away from their home to beat up Joseph with the intention of killing him. 
In fact, they took him and took this coat that was very special to him that his father had given him and ripped it off of him and beat him up and threw him in a pit with the intention of killing him. And if it wasn't for one of his brothers, Reuben, coming in and saying, hey, we don't want to do this. This is a bad look. We shouldn't kill our own brother. Joseph would have died then, but his life was spared. But yet he still found himself in this pit. In a pit. When your family is trying to bury you, which literally is what is happening to Joseph at this moment, it would be very easy to let your conditions, to let your place, define you, to allow the position you find yourself in this pit to set the narrative for who you are and what is to come. But Joseph didn't. What's interesting as we read this account in the scriptures is you never find actually Joseph saying much of anything. He did not complain. He did not curse God or his family. But we can know by what he says when he does start to speak. That he did not allow the place that he found himself, whether being pampered in his father's house or being placed in a pit with the intention of killing him, to alter his perspective. Because he fundamentally believed that wherever he was, he was planted, not buried. So then we get to Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph is in this pit and his brother has pleaded for him and they have decided rather than to kill him, to sell him to a group of slave traders who are coming by. Here's the way the scripture records what's going on in Genesis chapter 39 starting in verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian by the name of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his whole household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household, it in all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's household because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph goes from a place of prominence, a place of blessing, a place of favor, in his own household, to in a pit with people trying to kill him, to then them changing their plans and them selling him to make a little money to a group of Ishmaelite slave traders, to then being sold by those slave traders to a foreign dignitary by the name of Potiphar. And then he finds himself in this foreign land working for somebody he does not know, working for somebody he does not worship the same God, working for someone who could not be more opposite of who he is, and yet God's blessing followed him there. 
But that wasn't the only thing that followed him. Problems followed him. Because while Genesis, as we read, tells us about the blessing that followed Joseph there, Joseph had problems there too. Joseph's problems appear in Potiphar's house in the form of Potiphar's wife. See, Genesis 39 will tell us in another spot that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Joseph was not some scrubby-looking dude that's like, you know, don't, he got a great personality. That wasn't Joseph. Joseph was easy on the eyes. Joseph was, was the kind of guy you wanted to be seen with. And Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph. And the way the scriptures put it, if I can make it as PG as I possibly can, um, she... Um, made advances to Joseph and on Joseph every single day. She wanted Joseph, to put it lightly. And every day, Joseph resisted. Every day, Joseph pushed her away. Every day, Joseph reminded her, your husband, my master, has put me in charge of everything here. I can do whatever I want. I'm in charge of all this stuff, and everything is being blessed because of me. There's really only one thing that's off limit to me, and it's you, so go away. And she wouldn't. One day, she came and forced herself on him so strongly that she was holding onto his coat and he pulled himself out of his coat and ran away. And Potiphar's wife felt embarrassed by this. So much so that she decided to use this as an opportunity to frame him. She frames him. She cries rape. And when her husband hears this, he doesn't ask Joseph what Joseph thinks. He throws him in jail. Potiphar's house. When your character is questioned by your conditions, not your conduct, does that mean that you're buried? Because that's where Joseph found himself with Potiphar. His conditions, not what he did, Joseph did nothing wrong. Joseph honored God. Joseph honored Pharaoh. Joseph honored their union. But yet he was framed. And when the conditions around you are heaping trouble upon you, when the conditions around you take you from a place of prestige and prominence to literally being thrown in prison, are you buried then? I don't know. Genesis chapter 39 would tell us differently because in verse 21, the story continues about Joseph and his journey in prison. And it says this in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in prison. The Lord was with him when he was in his place of upbringing. The Lord was with him when he was in a pit being sold to Ishmaelite slave traders. The Lord was with him when he was in Potiphar's house, making Potiphar's life easy. And the Lord was with him in prison and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything he did successful. 
He's in prison. How many prison wardens do you know gonna take an inmate and let them be in charge of what's going on? Because of the content of their character. Because they see the hand of God on him in prison. Prison. You know, the favor of God can find you in the most unexpected places if you'll perceive it. The problem is we find ourselves in the prisons of our own lives and we don't believe that favor can find us there. We don't believe that the hand of God, the blessing of God, we don't believe there's any way we could be planted in a place like a prison. But favor can find you if you'll perceive it. See, the reality is Joseph wasn't in prison for minutes. Prison was a place in Egypt at that time where you put people who had did wrong and then you forgot about them. There wasn't a due process. <laughs> there, there wasn't a, a right to a fair trial. What are we talking about? They did the thing. We threw them in there and they'll probably die in there. But it was in prison that Joseph interpreted dreams for Two people he met there. Two people he probably became in charge of there. Those dreams came true, and one of the dreams uh, was going to send a particular person back into the presence of the Pharaoh, where this person had promised to help Joseph get out and speak the good news and the good name of Joseph, but he forgot. So even after Joseph had interpreted dreams, he spent years longer in prison. Until one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. All of his sorcerers, all of his therapists, he went to the counselor, he brought everybody in. And nobody could explain to him what this dream meant. And it was then that this man who had met Joseph in prison remembered, oh, there's a Hebrew in the prison who told me what was going to happen, and it happened. And I bet he could help you, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh called for Joseph, and Joseph was cleaned up and made presentable to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh uh, told him his dream, and Joseph said, well, I can't tell you what the dream means, but the God in me can tell you what the dream means. And so now standing in front of the Pharaoh, he interprets the dream that nobody else has been able to interpret. Nobody else has been able to make sense of what it is the Pharaoh had seen. But Joseph is able to communicate to the Pharaoh of a godless land what this dream means, and when he does this Pharaoh of a godless people sees what's always been in Joseph wherever he was. And in Genesis chapter 41 verse 38, please don't tune out on Bible story time because it is coming for your house today. In verse 38 of Genesis chapter 41, it says, then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God made all of this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and wise as you. You will be over my house and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Joseph went from prison to the palace, he went from someone forgotten and left to die 
to the second most powerful person in Egypt in an afternoon. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one will be able to raise a hand or foot in all of Egypt without your permission. Here's Joseph, who grew up in a place with favor on him, favor from his father, favor in his house. He found himself in a pit due to the devious deeds of his brothers. He sold into slavery, works for Potiphar, brings blessing to Potiphar, but then is framed for a sexual assault he did not commit and finds himself in prison. He helps everybody he sees in prison and gets forgotten. And then in a moment, he's lifted from prison to the palace. But yet, everywhere he went, he had favor. Some people would falsely view his story as a story of someone who, well, he got favor back when he was brought to the palace and given power. No, 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 no. Notoriety isn't the arrival of favor. It's the announcement of it. Because favor didn't find Joseph. Favor followed Joseph. Everywhere he went. You put him in prison, I got favor in prison. You drop me in a pit, I'm going to have favor in the pit. You put me in Potiphar's house, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter the oppression. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stay faithful to my God, faithful to my calling, and favor will follow me there. You put me in a palace in front of the most powerful person in the land, and favor will follow me there. Joseph always prospered because his position never changed his perspective. He knew he was planted even though he was in a pit. He knew he was planted even when he was in a palace. It did not matter where he found himself. He knew he was planted, not buried. His position changed all the time. This journey from being beaten up, thrown into a pit, to being commended in, in, in Pharaoh's house was a journey of something like 13 years. His position changed. His perspective never did. What was his perspective? Well, we get a glimpse of his perspective in the book of Genesis chapter 50. See, in the book of Genesis chapter 50, we are towards the end of the story as it's communicated to us about Joseph. And to catch you up on really what was probably the neighborhood of the next 10 years of his life, what Joseph saw in Pharaoh's dreams was that God was going to bring about seven years of great blessing to the whole world. And crops would be plentiful. But those seven years of blessing would be followed by seven years of famine. And your ability to survive the seven years of famine, and not only survive, but thrive in the seven years of famine, would come from how you steward the seven years of blessing. And Joseph told Pharaoh, what we should do is we should collect all that we could collect, save all that we could save during these seven years of plenty, so that way we have some not only for our people, but have some to be able to sell to others during these seven years of famine. 
And that is exactly what they did. They collected and stored so much that when the famine started and people started running out, not only did the people of Egypt come to Joseph to buy food, and Joseph made the Pharaoh incredibly powerful and incredibly wealthy through this, but people all over the region came to Joseph and came to Egypt, including Joseph's family. The same brothers who threw him in a pit would find themselves a couple decades later coming to Joseph to buy food, but they didn't know it was Joseph. And through this interaction, Joseph realizes that it is his family, and he ultimately is able to be reunited with his brothers and sisters. His father comes as well, and they move to the good land in Egypt called Goshen. Joseph is able to take care of them. But then after a while, Joseph's father dies. And Joseph's brothers are worried again because they are the ones who, who threw him in the pit. They are the ones, they know Joseph, remember, they are the ones who tried to kill him. They are the ones who made all of this time in prison and all of this pain of being a slave and all of this happening. They are the ones and so when Joseph's father dies, his brothers get worried again that now Joseph's going to get his vengeance on us. He's the second most powerful person in the whole world as we know it. He's going to take it out on us. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, Joseph communicates his perspective while also answering their question. He says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good. You threw me in a pit trying to bury me. But God planted me there. You can't respond like that to the people who tried to bury you unless you gain a perspective on the inside of you that is greater than whatever happens on the outside of you. Because otherwise you'd be petty. Otherwise, you would do exactly what your brothers expect you to do, and you would take out your vengeance on them. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph didn't operate like that because Joseph knew that wherever I am, I'm planted, not buried. But far too often, we don't respond like Joseph in those moments in our lives because we define God's blessing based on our placement. If the conditions of our life is good, then God is with me and for me. That's what we think. If I look out my window and everything looks good, if I look into my bank account and everything sits right, if I look at my schedule and I look at my health and I look at my relationships and everything is the way I want it to be, then, then, then God's blessing, God's, I must be planted. We define God's blessing based on our own placement. Listen to me. That is a terrible way to perceive your life and a terrible way to perceive what God is doing through you. The scripture says it rains on the just and the unjust alike, meaning that blessing comes to good people and blessing comes to bad people. The inverse of that is also true. It means destruction comes to good people and destruction comes to bad people. Miss me with your karma-infused Christian perspective because it ain't Christian at all. You're not planted because the environment is good that you're in. You're not planted because the economy is good that you are drawing from. You're not planted because the relationships in your life are the relationships that you desire in your life. You're not planted because your health is good. God wants you to know this today. 
that when his spirit lives on the inside of you, you better write this down. Wherever you are, you're planted. You can, you can put me in a pit. You can put me in Potiphar's house. You can put me in a prison. You can put me in a palace. It does not matter where you place me because wherever you place me, I am planted because I know what's inside of me. Wherever you are, you're planted. And whatever may happen, you're planted. You're not the type that believes you're planted because good circumstances and good situations start to surround you. You're the type that knows I am planted whatever may happen, whatever may go on. It may be the greatest year of my life or I may spend half the year in a hospital bed. I am planted, not buried. I may have all the resources and all the strength and all the accolades that anyone could want or nobody may know my name. It don't matter. Whatever may happen, I am planted, not buried. Because whoever can't bury you because I'm planted. You can't bury anybody or anything that would view you digging a hole and putting dirt on the top of them as planting them. Because planted isn't a position, it's a perspective. Planted isn't a place, it's a perspective. Now I say this, all of this understanding there is not a person under the sound of my voice, not a person sitting in their living room right now, wherever you may be watching this from, wherever you may be listening this from, whether you're in Memphis, whether you're in the United States, wherever you are on this planet, do you understand there is not a person listening to me who hasn't experienced difficulty? The truth is, is just like Joseph, much of that difficulty is connected to people. <laughs> and like him, not just random people. But a lot of times the difficulties that affect our lives, the difficulties we're navigating in our lives, don't just come from random people. They come from people we know. You know their name. When I talk about whoever can't bury you, I ain't talking about some random fool on, on, online who ain't even got their real name in their profile. You know that more than likely the people who've tried to bury you for the longest the hardest who've done the most harm to you and for you and about you, they lived in your house for a while or you lived in theirs. You still got their cell phone number. They're people that you worked with, worked for, for a decade. They're people who you used to love. They're people who you used to, you used to have birthdays with and have celebrations with. And when you thought about the three or four people you wanted to invite to big things, they were one of the three or four people. But they were the ones who took the shovel and tried to bury you. They tried to slander your name. They tried to kill your influence. They tried to end relationships for you that were valuable and significant to you. They were the one who tried to take your job. They were the one that tried to put you in an unemployment line. They were the one that tried to fracture the relationship between you and your kids. They were the one who tried to damage and disrupt your future, but it didn't work. Why didn't it work? They tried, and you knew they were trying. 
it didn't work because they didn't know. Now, I have always been a fan, personally, of a good quote. I love a good quote. I mean, from the time I was very young, in fact, some of you who maybe are familiar with the scripture will recognize that sometimes when I be talking, I just be not giving you the references for a whole bunch of scripture verses that, 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 that you've heard or read or seen in some space and place. Yeah, I love a good quote. I, I, will, I will sometimes even reframe uh, thoughts that I've read from years ago or read last week to communicate in a way that makes sense to me. But I love the power of a good quote. And when I started reading the Bible with some form of seriousness, I was probably in eighth or ninth grade. And I remember getting this Bible that was mine. It was a student Bible. I say it was mine because it had my name on the front. It was back in the day. You know what I'm saying? You get your little name and, and some whatever on the front. But I love this Bible because uh, this Bible, um, it, at the time, it was very cool to have things that were silver, not gold. And I found this Bible that had like the edges of the pages were silver. You know how like the Bible would be like gold a lot of times? It was silver. So I got my name on the front in silver. I loved my Bible. And I was starting to read the Bible personally. And one of the things I did is I put quotes in the Bible. And one of the biggest quotes I'll put, I remember right in the front of my Bible, like you open the, 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 the cover of it, and before you even get to the first page, it says like, Holy Bible, there was this quote there, and it was a quote about attitude. It was a quote I loved about attitude that I would think about a lot. And uh, it's, it's a quote maybe you've heard before. It's rather long, but it would say, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. And the, the person who said this quote said, attitude to me is more important than the facts. It's more important than the details. It's, it's, it's more important than, than, than what happens or what happens to you. He said it would make or break a church, a company, even a family. And he would go on and on and on in this repetitive form, this idea of attitude. And he made this statement at the end, it was sort of the end of the quote. And he said, the attitude to me is 10% uh, what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So it is with you. You are in control of your attitude. And I love that quote. And I would see it a lot as I would read my Bible. I'd read my Bible and see the attitude quote and read the attitude quote. And I've got to be honest, I think I may have read the attitude quote one too many times because I remember being in Bible college, having just started. And it was a class I was in that was about uh, foundations of the Christian faith. It was very early, first semester, Bible college. I'm 17 years old. I'm excited to be in Bible college, excited to be uh, doing all this. And, and, and the, the professor, I don't even think they were really a real professor, the, the person in charge of this class, uh, had this uh, day where they had different people share verses that were significant to them. And people are sharing, and honestly, it's a lot of the basics. And I've never been a basic guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if people are like, John 3, 16, for God so, and look, John 3, is wonderful. God loved the world so much, he gave his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Absolutely. But they was hitting all the basics. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so I'm sitting here thinking, it's time for me to get in my bag when they call on me. I ain't about to hit them with no... John 3, 16, no, 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 I'm going to go deep in my bag. And I remember being in this class and saying, you know, one of the verses that really has affected my life in a significant way. So I don't remember exactly where it's found. But it reminds us that life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. <laughs> and so it is with you. 
you are in control of your attitude. And I'm thinking, you know, it's about to be standing ovation up in there. To which the leader of this class, the professor, if you will, then reminds me, um, little boy, <laughs> that ain't no Bible verse. To which I then remember, no, that's the quote I stuck in front of my Bible that I read a lot that ministered to me. I love a good quote, Bible verse or not. And I'm going to tell you, I need to give you a quote today. And this quote is not a Bible verse, so don't get it twisted. <laughs> and don't say I didn't warn you. But it is one of my more favorite quotes. It's a quote I've thought back a lot about, but even in trying to research the origin of the quote, it sends you on a journey. Some people will call it a Mexican proverb. Some people will call it uh, rooted in Eastern European tradition. Uh, some people rooted some of the great Greek thinkers of the third, fourth, fifth century. I don't know where it came from, but I love its implication. And its implication is significant on today because it is the testimony of every person who decides to live with the perspective that I am planted, not buried. It is the testimony of our boy Joseph, who we took a tour of the highlights and the lowlights of his life experience on today. It is their testimony throughout. And the quote goes a little something like this. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. They tried to bury you. The reason they couldn't <laughs> is they didn't know what was inside of you. Because when they put you in the ground, they thought it was over. But there was something on the inside of you that can thrive in a dark place. There's something on the inside of you that it does not matter where they put you. Growth will happen. Strength will rise. And what was always in me is going to come out. Because I am planted, not buried. Because you can't bury a seed. You can't bury a seed. You can try, but just give us time and we'll grow. <laughs> give us time. The environment may not be what we wanted it to be. That's okay. Give us time. And what you'll find is that we will be exactly what we were supposed to be. We will become exactly what it is we were supposed to become. We'll be everything God intended for us to be because you can't bury me when I know what's inside of me. Because the life of the seed isn't in the conditions, but in the content within it. They tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. They tried to bury me. They didn't know they were trying to bury us. See, they tried to bury Joseph. They didn't realize he was a seed. See, as people of faith, we have the potential to live our lives as seeds. Seeds in the soil of this earth. Seeds in the soil that is the time that God would give you. But seeds in the soil, nonetheless, who live their lives planted, not buried. But the only way you will ever become what's on the inside of you, write this down, is you stop obsessing about your conditions and start obsessing about your character. 
You have to get to the point where you stop worrying about the fact that you don't have everything you think you're supposed to have. <laughs> that you don't have all the people and you don't have all the friends and you don't have all the influence. And if people would just know my name and if I would just get my shot, baby, you don't need a shot. You just need time in the soil because if you put me here, I'm planted here. Today, God wants to begin to make you a seed that cannot be buried. I believe today that from this moment forward in your life, this moment forward in this series, God wants to develop within you the qualities of a seed that cannot be buried because you can't bury what's on the inside of me. You can plant me, but you cannot bury me. But what you need for that to be true is a character that can handle any condition. A character that can see fair, favor follow you, whether you're in prison or in a palace. Because you need the kind of character that favor follows. The kind of character that is not dismayed or dissuaded by the conditions of their life but knows what God has sent inside of you. So how? How do you live as a seed that favor follows? How do you build character that can handle any condition? Well, today as I close, very simply and very quickly from the onset of Joseph's life, I want to give you two simple things. Two very simple and I promise you, very quick realities that I want to show you where these were rooted in him because these are the content of his character that stayed with him in the pit, stayed with him in Potiphar's house and in prison and in the palace and into the time of his life where he is being celebrated for the greatness that follows him. These were found in him while he was in his place of upbringing, being disdained and disowned by his own family. Character on the inside of him, but character that favor follows. Write this first thing down. Be concerned about integrity over image. You want to develop within you the content of a seed that cannot be buried, be concerned about integrity over image. One of the first things we learn about Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 is that he chose what was right even when it was hard. Joseph or Genesis 37 is really the introduction to Joseph's Story. We hear about his birth before that, but in Genesis 37, he's got a personality and he's out here doing stuff. And it begins by telling us that he actually brought his father a bad report about some of his brothers. Now, Joseph was not liked by his brothers. I told you that. And he wasn't liked because of the favoritism and because of the favor set on him and given to him by his father. Because again, he was the child to his father's wife that his father actually loved the most. It would be easy in that type of environment 
to use the knowledge that you had received to try to build your image in the eyes of those who don't like you. Hey, listen, I saw you doing what was wrong, but listen, I'm going to keep that between me and you, you know, because I'm like that, man. You know what I'm saying? I got you. I got your back. But Joseph believed that what he saw being done wrong was wrong and knew that it was his responsibility to communicate and report this to his father. So he was more concerned about doing what was right and doing what was expected of him rather than doing what he could do to be liked. See, if you're going to live as a seed that God's favor follows, hear me, integrity matters. If you are going to live your life as a seed that the favor of God follows, integrity matters. What do I mean when I say integrity? Integrity is who you are when nobody is looking. It's consistency between what I portray and what I practice. It's the opposite of hypocrisy, not because it's perfection, but because there's alignment. Everyone in this life, everyone on your Instagram feed, everyone that you aspire to have their world obsesses over how they appear. Very few people obsess over who they are. But those who obsess over who they are are those who are planted, not buried. Those who obsess over their character are those who you can drop them in any environment, any condition, and give it time. And favor will find them because favor follows them. Because they are someone who believes that, that integrity matters more than their image. And as a person of faith, can I tell you today, the more integrity you develop, the more faith you'll deploy. I'm going to say that again. The more integrity you develop, the more faith you'll deploy. It is impossible for you to do what God said. And it is impossible for you to trust what God asks in that area. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's your finances, whether it's forgiving someone, whether it's future planning, whatever it is. As long as your image matters more than integrity. Because if image matters more than integrity, then as long as I look faithful, and as long as I appear generous, and as long as I seem devoted, and as long as I came across contrite, as long as people don't think that I'm worried about it, then I'm good. Here's the problem before I hit the second one. Accepting an image being comfortable going, okay, people see me this way, so I'm good. Accepting an image will block the conviction that creates the change that leads to integrity. Because integrity says, this is where I'm at. Integrity isn't perfection. But it's the ability to not be comfortable with an image being enough. People of integrity aren't concerned whether or not other people think they are good relationally. They get to the bottom of relational tension and make sure that the relationship is right. They don't hold on to bitterness while trying to tell people, I've forgiven them, knowing that they have. People of integrity are willing to say, hey, I'm still struggling letting the offense go, but I'm trying with all I can to forgive. People of integrity aren't concerned about portraying an image of generosity. 
They, they, they live their lives generously. They don't care whether or not people think that they're generous, think that they're giving. No, 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 no. They ain't worried about that. People with an image want you to see an image as long as it's not the image of their checking account. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they want you to see an image of generosity, but if you told their bank account that they were generous, they say, this person? No, 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 that ain't, that ain't how they roll. People of integrity, though, are concerned about living a life of generosity and allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, you need to change in this. You need to grow in this. Be more concerned about your integrity than your image. The other thing Joseph does so well that every person who lives as a seed planted, not buried, must do is this. Believe what God says over what man says. You know, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, for Joseph and his relationship with his brothers was him telling them that story about the, you're going to come bow down to me. They had had enough. They didn't like him, but now it's like, you think, you think God's telling you we're going to serve you one day? Now, Joseph was probably a little immature, maybe a little premature in communicating this to his brothers, maybe even to his family at all. It's a tough thing to distinguish sometimes between what God is telling you and what God is telling us. But nevertheless, that is not a reason to have somebody killed, which was their initial desire. But even though him communicating this story led him to being beaten up, thrown into a pit, and then this whole journey beginning, he believed God over his detractors. He held on to this promise, this dream, this vision on the inside of him. Even though people said he was crazy. Even though people said he was crazy so loudly, they said, we think you're so crazy, we're going to put it into it and make sure it never happens. See, you got to learn how to trust what God says when the conditions don't look like what he said. When what you see around you looks nothing like what he said. You got to learn to trust what God said. And the only way you'll be able to do that is if you find yourself with the character on the inside of you that knows wherever I'm at, I'm planted, not buried. You got to learn how to trust what God says when it takes longer than you ever thought it would. Joseph had this dream. He probably thought it was about 10 minutes till it was going to happen. <laughs> it was 25, 27 years later before the dream he saw actually became a reality. See, God's timing ain't our timing. So you just trust and believe. Trust and believe. If God said it, he'll do it. You ain't worried about the time. You ain't worried about how long it takes for the seed that's in you to turn into the, into the good fruit that everyone sees. You ain't worried about that because you know favor is going to follow you wherever you go. So wherever you place me, I'm going to be all right. And one day you'll see what God has placed in me. And when they want to give you credit, you got to learn how to trust what God says because you know it's all God. You know it's all God. See, that's the common refrain you'll see in the life of Joseph. Anytime people wanted to celebrate him, he said, this ain't me. This is God. 
You think favor is following me? It's not following me. It's following the God on the inside of me. They drop him in Pharaoh's palace, and Pharaoh is making him the second most powerful person in the whole land. And Joseph uses that opportunity in front of a godless Pharaoh to say, I will bless the Lord. You know, favor follows the worshiper. Sometimes we think of worship as just those who can sing a song. No, worship is giving honor and giving praise and giving accolade to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the one who put on the inside of you that which will come to pass in due season. And so today as we close, even sitting right there in your car, in the living room, wherever you may be, could you just give worship and honor and praise to the God who is forming on the inside of you, the seed that is your life. He's forming on the inside of you. The character that has to always thrive because you can't bury it. You can only plant it. Jesus, I thank you today for meeting with us in these moments. Father, I pray you would develop within us in these days and weeks ahead the, the tenacity to pursue the character that you use, the character that your favor follows, the kind of character that can change nations, the kind of character that can turn upside down neighborhoods, the kind of character that is attractive, the kind of character that favor follows, not because we want favor, but because we want to follow you. So help us to take our eyes off of the conditions around us and to learn how to turn inwardly to the content of our character and become the people you want to form who cannot be buried but are planted for your honor. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.